Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate wickedly smart women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom, along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our special guest, Helen Appleby. Helen is a British New York-based women's leadership expert who has helped hundreds of women step into their power and write their own rules for success, while also helping hundreds of men understand how to best support those women. Having seen firsthand the experiences women disproportionately face in their careers, Helen created the unwritten rules to empower women with tools to write their own rules, navigate their versions of success, and achieve their potential. I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome, Helen. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, let me start, Helen, by asking when you were growing up, so you were growing up probably over in, in Britain somewhere. Yes. When you were growing up, were you the one who was just, you know, whipping everybody into shape and leading the way? Or were you somebody who grew into your leadership role? So Angel, I'm what the eldest of four children to myself, my sister and twin brother. So I think I think the stats would say that eldest children grow up and, you know, more leaders are eldest children than any other place in the birth order. And I guess being the eldest daughter of four, I'm sure there's some theories on (laughs) why we grow up the way we grow up. But yeah, I think we're born into leadership when you're the eldest of four. So yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So what are some of the things that you noticed as you were growing up, as you were coming up into your full womanhood, where you began to maybe see the seeds of this disproportionate challenge that women face in the world in general, never mind just in their careers. Yeah. I guess at the beginning, you know, I, I kind of started on my journey with the words of my dad in my ears, which is, you know, girls can do anything that boys can do. And I really, you know, I really dived into that. I had all the jobs and, you know, I was always busy achieving and was very competitive as a child. I rode horses, horseback riding and competed. And, you know, I did, I did all the things that boys do. And I guess the first time I saw how kind of good girl conditioning shows up Mm. was at school where, you know, I was always the sit in the front kind of student. And then when I got, you know, later on in school, in my later years at school, I didn't notice at the time, but like that sense of when you're in a science class, suddenly I was sat at the back and was not asking questions and wasn't really following along and wasn't really, you know, suddenly it wasn't cool. 
and I so I really noticed the difference in how you know what I now understand, which is how girls succeed in science, technology, and maths compared to boys when they're in a, a mixed school. So I think that was probably the first sign. And then I think once I got to work, the early years, you've, you know, I, I feel almost like when you first, I was on one of those, you know, management training development schemes and, and it's kind of like they throw you all into the swimming pool and the deep end and you're all just kind of thrashing around and trying to float, aren't you? And I guess I didn't really notice it for a few years and it sort of dropped off my radar in my twenties. But then, you know, in my late twenties and in my thirties, I started to just be really much more aware of how all the people above me at a senior level were men. And it was so much easier for the guys who were my age to build relationships with them because they had more in common with them. You know, they supported the same sports teams, you know, they could discuss the football on a Monday and, you know, that stuff. And they went golfing with them. And, you know, those were conversations that I really couldn't join in on. Mm. And it took a while for that then to turn into, oh my goodness, like he got promoted. Wow. That's so interesting. And oh, and he's going to work for so-and-so that he plays golf with, Mm. you know? So I feel like at school, it was a little bit obvious. In my 20s, it was not so obvious. And then in my 30s, it it became even more obvious. And I think in your 30s as a woman is really, I think, where it really shows up because at that stage in life, like life asks a lot of us in our 30s as, mm. you know, as women. And if we start to have children, you know, in our 30s, we, we tend to, you know, start to get a bit more senior. Maybe we're leading people. Maybe we're leading more important projects. You know, maybe we have a partner. Maybe we're, you know, we have kids as well. And life really demands a lot. And it was really then that I started to notice, wow, this is not fair. Mm. You know, mm. so yeah. it was kind of a gradual journey. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that the men were out playing golf. I remember for me when I was in that frame of time, right? The late 20s and into the mid 30s. Again, I would agree with you. That's when life is demanding a lot. Are you going to get married? Are you going to have babies? Are you going to, you know, stay on the corporate ladder track? All of those things for women are, are bigger questions, I think, maybe than for men. And I remember for me, wondering why, why I was in the office when somebody else was out golfing. And they were like, it was they were out playing. They were out playing yeah. <laughs> while I was in the office working. Mm. And, and why is yeah, that okay? <laughs> yeah. And why is that okay? Like that was such a curious thing for me. There was one guy I remember every Wednesday afternoon, like it, I, I live in New Hampshire, so it wasn't all year round, but as soon as golf season started every Wednesday afternoon, he just was done at the, you know, after lunch, he was out golfing. So yeah, I, I definitely can see how now in retrospect that it was baked in that men are allowed to actually, there were containers for men to collaborate and relate with one another that were accepted that were separate from what was accepted for women, at least in the Mm -hmm. time that I was coming up. So I'm curious, at what point did you say, 
oh, I've got to quit the corner office here. (laughs) I've got to get out of here (laughs) and do my own thing, right? At what point did it become clear to you that you needed to become your own expert, have your own business move beyond being in the kind of corporate container? Much later. I I didn't leave until my late 40s. I pushed on, you know, as the men started to pull away, I kind of doubled down and worked harder. And, you know, there were there were still moments on that journey where I had some big learnings. Anyway, we'll come back to that maybe. But in terms of leaving, yeah. I got I got really senior before I decided to leave. I've lived and worked in six countries. You know, I ended up running the global respiratory health business for a, a big pharmaceutical company. So running a billion dollar business. And at that point, I really started to feel like from a career perspective, you know, I'd achieved the goals that I wanted to achieve. Mm. And I realized that actually I enjoyed growing people more than I enjoyed growing brands or businesses at that point. And I had an executive coach and I said that out loud to a coach that I like growing people more than I like growing brands or businesses. And it was honestly, it was, there was a literally a moment that I remember, and it was kind of like the genie was out the bottle mm-hmm. and it wouldn't go back in. <laughs> and he said to me, wow. He said, what are you going to do about that then? <laughs> and then, you know, it still took another five years. I almost think of myself as an accidental entrepreneur, you know, in many ways, I was very comfortable in glass buildings and shiny offices and boardrooms. And, you know, I, I had navigated and succeeded and, you know, had really reached kind of my version of success and then wanted to, you know, have an impact on a different stage, if you like, and in a different way. Mm, Beautiful. Well, I'd love to have you go back to, you know, some of the, if you want to bring in some of the core learnings that you learned in that period of time that maybe you've incorporated in your book, you have a book called The Unwritten Rules of Women's Leadership. So if you could give our listeners maybe three things that you have distilled from that period of time, you know, up until you Mm. made the the leap that would be helpful for them, I'd love to hear that now. Mm, Sure. I think... And honestly, the the learnings were born of the struggles Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, how I overcame them. And there's a few, but conflict, right? Dealing with conflict, I learned on my journey and I now teach that, you know, we all have different conflict styles. I grew up in a house where we didn't fight and we didn't yell. (laughs) And I found, you know, shouting in a business context or conflict in a business context, very upsetting. I didn't like it at all. And it used to make me cry. And I, you know, they, those were the moments of kind of being in the bathroom, trying to cry silently. And I learned on the way, I think that I basically just took conflict too personally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now if you look at the work on conflict, we can map our conflict styles. And some of us are more you know, comfortable with conflict and some of us are more conflict avoidant. And I'm definitely on the conflict avoidant end. So what I had to learn was to, to not take it so personally and to realize that you know, if so-and-so is yelling, that usually let's call him Oscar, right? If Oscar's yelling. <laughs> Oscar the Grouch. Yeah, of course. Oscar the Grouch. And often that's 
because that's what Oscar does, <laughs> as opposed to it really personally being about me. And so taking it less personally and then, you know, learning to look for, was there any truth in what Oscar says? And, you know, can I kind of separate the actual gift of what he's saying or what he wants from how he's delivering it? And then the other thing I think that I learned on the journey and how I describe it now is if someone's having a reaction to a PowerPoint slide, right, in a presentation, and it's if it's more than a five out of 10 on the scale of reactions, then you know, more than a five out of 10 reaction, guess what? It's not about the slide. (laughs) (laughs) Usually those kind of extreme reactions come from much earlier in their childhood. Mm. And you've just, you know, touched a nerve of, you know, whatever, feeling disrespected or not feeling in control or, you know, so all of those tools have now helped me manage, you know, and stay stood in my power when, there was conflict and and try to and to understand that sometimes conflict can be good mm. and that actually you can get to better solutions if you can have a debate mm. and obviously there's there's ways of doing it well which we don't always do but lots of learnings for me on the way on conflict we are at the break so we're going to get the second and the third on the other side of the break cuz that that was deep <laughs> i i put down 3 from just from conflict So we'll catch that on the back end. Right now, we are going to take a short break. We could leave smart women. We could use your help. If you're enjoying the show and want us to stay on the air, please consider making a donation at www.wickedlysmartwomen.com. We'd also love to invite you to consider buying our first book, The Wickedly Smart Women, Trusting Intuition, Taking Action and Transforming Worlds, which contains stories from 17 wickedly smart women from around the world. The book became a number one new release in six categories and an international bestseller when we launched and ranked in 34 categories. So those stories that are in there are really powerful. We'd love to have you access those and certainly share with your friends both the podcast and the book. And I do want to say a huge thank you today to all of our listeners who are downloading, rating, and reviewing. We are welcoming thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads from all over the world. I want to shout out this week to our listeners in Bulgaria, Great Britain, and Bermuda. And we will be right back with Helen Appleby. The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by the Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design, a life that is an extraordinary work of art? Angel B. Hartwell, the Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by Women in Transition, Women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance, become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your wealthy life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com. And we are back with Helen Appleby. Before we went to the break, we were talking about 
some of the unwritten rules of women's leadership that she has distilled from her many years in corporate, that she works with women and men to help them to navigate these challenges that can happen. And we were asking her about the top three things that she learned in that time frame. I want to let you know, before we dive into number two and number three, that you can find out more about Helen at HelenAppleBeeCoaching.com, where you can definitely get her book, Unwritten Rules of Women's Leadership, and find out more about working with her. And so, Helen, before we went to the break, we were talking about the conflict as number one, one of the things that you learned and how to deal with that. And what you were saying is that there are, you know, a couple more things that you want to speak about, but I wanted for our listeners to hear really the core of that was not taking any kind of conflict personally, but instead looking for the gift, like where is the gift of this conflict and maybe transforming the energy of the conflict into something useful. And and also having awareness that wherever it's coming from, a lot of times it's about them and has nothing to do with you. So let's talk about the other two things that you you learned mm. in your in your years in leadership. Sure. The second one I would say is around mentors, the power of mentors and how they can be a career accelerator. And that, you know, naturally we are we're drawn to helping people who are behind us on the journey, but that remind us of ourselves, right? Even me and you, look at what we're doing in the world. You know, we're helping people who are in some ways a younger version of ourselves, aren't they? Aren't we? So that's natural. But what that means is that if you're in an environment and you don't look like the people who are ahead of you on the journey, the likelihood is they won't ask you. And so, you know, it was never an unwritten rule for me that I needed mentors and sponsors. I just didn't get them naturally and I didn't know how to ask. Mm -hmm. So learning to figure out who is two steps, you know, what are the journeys ahead of me? Who's two steps ahead of me on those journeys? And how do I ask was a big learning. You know, everything is figure outable, Mary Folio says, and I think she's absolutely right. And so, you know, the reason they accelerate your career is because, you know, someone else has figured it out already and they can help you figure it out faster. Mm. So, you know, if you've got skills that you want to get better at, experiences that you want, journeys that you want to go on, then, you know, they can really help. And they can also be a source of sponsorship, right? Mentors share their journey with you, kind of like a map, show you mm. the map. Sponsors actually talk about you when you're not in the room, right? And they can get you into rooms that you can't get yourself into in corporate. And so they're an even stronger career accelerant. But again, you know, I it's harder to ask for sponsorship, but mentors can grow into sponsors on the journey. So getting mentors and sponsors, and you know, they also change, right? As we pivot into, you know, the second chapters and different parts of our careers. Those those change. Right? I have a different mm. set of mentors now, but you know, getting help on the journey is definitely uh, makes a difference. And then the third one I would say is, you know, the the way I wrote the the rule, the unwritten rule when mm -hmm. I wrote it down was there is visible work and invisible work. Oh, and we, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It's amazing how many women Ooh. sigh when I say that. Right, and we only get judged on our visible work, mm. which means. You know, many women 
and, you know, and people, not just women, but many women in particular, disproportionately think if I just do good work, it'll be noticed, you know, and, and it'll be rewarded and I will get paid more and promoted and get the recognition I deserve. And, and that, <laughs> you know, I know from bitter experience myself, my journey, listening to those groans and from, you know, all the women that I work with, that that isn't how the game is played. Mm. And so, you know, if I just do good work, it'll be noticed. It's not. So it's your job to make your work visible. So if you're doing work and it's not visible, either nobody's getting credit for it, as in nobody knows it's being done, which is, you know, it's a lot of wasted effort, isn't it? Mm. Or someone else is getting credit. Mm. And, you know, even if you say, well, you know, my boss will make it visible, will they? <laughs> and are they set up to do that? You know, have you given them all the information they need? You know, who knows about the work that you do, the value that you add and the results that you deliver? And do the people who will be in the room or consulted when your next role is discussed, do they know? Because those are the people that need to know. That's what will get you promoted. Mm, beautiful. Well, I want to take a minute to go into this visible versus invisible work, because I think it's a, an endemic thing that we are only now, only in the last maybe five years, has it been come into the kind of mass consciousness, this idea of emotional labor, this idea mm -hmm. of invisible work. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to have you speak just a little bit further about how do we make the invisible work visible or maybe just stop doing the invisible work if we're not getting credit for it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Both of those. So in terms of stopping doing it, right, I think being very conscious of what I call community work, right, unpromotable work. So if you're offered a project or, you know, to be involved in something, then, you know, think about it. Do you actually, is this what you will be judged on? Is it in your job objectives? Is it visible? Are you doing community work that is, you know, you're never going to get credit for mm. and stopping, you know, just don't take it on, right? I'm so sorry. I'd love to, but I, I don't have capacity for that at the moment. Mm. Or do it and put it in your job objectives so that you're actually being measured and rewarded for Having it. it be visible, right. And having it be visible, that's right. right. And then again, you know, in terms of how to make your work visible, talking to people, you know, some kind of weekly update, monthly update in your status report, you know, letting people know. I often say, you know, work out that group of people that I talked about just then, I call them your strategic network, which is who's going to be in the room or consulted when your next role is discussed. Do they know what you do? And if not, can you book some time with them and take them through it? Give them a status update and ask for their advice. You know, I'm working on this, this, and this. I'd love to know what you think and get their input. And so that they know they walk out of that meeting, knowing what you're up to in the world and the value that you bring. And then the other kind of more subtle way that you can make your work visible is to use, you know, sometimes it's appropriate to you know, have a big meeting with someone, have 20 minutes. I'd like to give you an update and ask for your advice. But sometimes we get these moments, you know, I call them micro encounters where we just happen to, you know, log on to a Zoom call or we're on a Teams call and they're on first. Or you step into an elevator and they're in the elevator or you're waiting for the Uber and they're, you know, in the Uber or waiting for the Uber with you. And then, you know, the small talk, right, these micro encounters often 
women will brush it off, right? So how are you? Oh, I'm fine, thanks. Gosh, it's cold, isn't it? Right. What will they know about Helen at the end of that? Well, you know, she's called Helen. She's got a British accent and, you know, she talks about the weather, which (laughs) me and 60 million other Brits, (laughs) we all talk about the weather. (laughs) So that's, you know, so it's not terrible, but I could have, you know, oh, you know, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm, you know, been super busy recently. I'm working on so-and-so and, you know, that's, I'm working, I'm actually working with someone in your team who's been amazing and the results have been really encouraging. And that means we're going to be coming back to you. We'll see you in about six weeks time at the meeting. Mm. And then we're going to be asking you for money, <laughs> but you know, Susan on your team has been amazing. Thank you so much. Mm. And then left that took, how many seconds did that take? You know, approximately six. And they're left with such a different view on Helen, aren't they? That now she's working with Susan. I get the opportunity to amplify and, you know, give credit to Susan for her work on the team. So, and they know that Helen and Susan are working on this. It's going well and that we're going to see them in six weeks time and they're going to ask for money. And like such a different impression and such different visibility. So don't waste those micro encounters. Mm, Beautiful. Well, and what I'm hearing there, Helen, is be present, like really be present in the moment and be very and be mindful, present, intentional Mm -hmm. and recognize that it is your job. It's your job. It's your job. (laughs) It's your job to voice yourself into to literally to voice yourself into visibility. Yes. Yeah. To educate. So, you know, when I first heard that, you know, people need to know about your work, right? Where I initially went in my twenties, it's like, oh, now I have to self-promote, you know, Mm. that's so yucky. And it felt really kind of yicky and inauthentic. Mm. But the flip for me is, can I educate them? Right. It's your job to teach them Mm. is what I say. Can I teach them? Can I educate them? Oh yeah, I can do that. that. I can do that authentically. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, Helen, I would love to spend like about 15 hours talking with you. <laughs> with wine. <laughs> However, we are at the at the, the close. And so I just want to thank you so much for coming. It was really wonderful to have you and encourage our listeners to go to HelenAppleBeCoaching.com, especially if you are a woman who is in a leadership role and you know that it's time for you to be more visible and, and step more fully into your power. Yeah. Get promoted and have, how do we get promoted by promoting ourselves? Right. (laughs) (laughs) That and a few other skills. Yes. That and a few other (laughs) skills. Yes. All right. Well, listeners, we do love feedback. Please let us know what you think of today's show by calling into our listener line. We'll have that for you in the show notes, or you can send in questions or guest suggestions to listeners at wickedlysmartwomen.com. We might even give you a shout out on the show. Thanks for tuning in. Keep your ears open and remember you are a wonderful woman. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, and listening. Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.